Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Tonight's scripture reading comes from Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a couple, a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went to tell their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father, father will treat each of you until you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Thank you, Mags. All right. That's on purpose. To make sure you are awake. That was on purpose. That wasn't. All right. Good evening and welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square to our special one-time event service at 5.30 tonight. Uh, for, uh, we really do appreciate you being here. The single most important question that you probably should be asking that you're not asking that is culturally relevant to today is this. How do we handle when somebody injures you and hurts you? How do you handle the conflict that happens naturally with each other? I promise you, if you are in relationship with any person or any group, just take some time, spend some time, and eventually either they will hurt you or you will hurt them. And when that happens, how do we handle the pain that others cause to us? And just so we know who we're talking about. We're not just talking about people inside the church and how to do this inside the church. I think this is the question that America is trying to figure out going forward. That when you've wounded me or when I've wounded you, what happens next? Can we, should we, will we forgive? Or is the option, is there other options? Do we ghost people? Do we uh, cut them off? Do we end it or not talk about it, pretend like it didn't happen. What do we do? And 
if the answer going forward is to forgive, then why don't we talk about it more in the church, outside the church? If, if this is the answer, why isn't this practiced more? Why don't we see it more? What I want to do with this text today is I want to break it up into three parts. The tendency to refuse to forgive, how to forgive, and then how to become people who do forgive. All right? So that, those are the three things. The tendency to not forgive, how do we actually forgive, and then how do we become people who do forgive? So first, the human tendency to refuse to forgive. In his book, The Sunflower on the Possibilities and Limits of Forgiveness, Simon Wiesenthal recounts what happened to him as a Polish Jew in a Nazi concentration camp. And in this concentration camp, his mother was taken away from him, and he never saw her again. And he was on this duty where they took him out of this camp, but to a, a remote place where he worked at a reserve hospital for wounded Nazis. And one day, he was brought before the bedside of a dying SS officer, and everybody knew that he was going to die in, a, in a, just a couple moments. He wasn't going to live long based on his wounds. And the man says this. He, got, he says to Simon, he says, My name's Carl, and I must tell you of a very particular horrible deed, and I'm asked specifically for you because you are a Jew. And he goes on and recounts what he did in U- the Ukraine. He said in the Ukraine that his unit of, of other troops... Somebody stepped on a mine, and 30 of his fellow countrymen died. And mad what the SS group unit did, the rest of them, they rounded up 300 Jews, put them in a, in a um, building, and lit it on fire. And then anybody who came out, they ended them too, and did horrible things, horrible things. And when he ended that story, he said this, I am left here alone with my guilt. With these last hours of my life, you are here and you are a Jew, and I have wanted to tell this to a Jew, to beg for forgiveness. Without your forgiveness, I cannot die in peace. Will you forgive me? And there's this, in the book, Simon takes this long time. It's like he almost sort of lost track of time. He was looking out the window, he looked around, and it says that without saying a word, he left the room. And the book is actually not about that story. The book is... He asked 53 men and women, scholars, poets, thinkers, and he asked them, did I do the right thing? Should Simon have, uh, uh, you know, did I do the right thing to walk out on Carl? And what was interesting about the book is the majority of people actually said yes. That that there are some crimes, there are some things in this world that, that you just can't forgive. And I think that's what's actually happened in our culture, that people are saying that it just sometimes now seems unfair and irrational to forgive when somebody's been wronged so much. And it's in that context I want us to look at our text today because what you need to know before we begin in verse 21, Peter, before he asked his question, Peter uh, knew that the rabbinic tradition at the time saw a generous view of forgiveness to forgive somebody three times. But you think about it, if somebody does the same offense against you, three times is pretty generous. And based on that, then he ends up saying uh, the same question that actually Simon says, right? What he says in verse 21 is, how many times shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times? And that's the same question. Where's the valid cutoff? Where, where is it okay? 
I saw um, a stand-up comedy routine where uh, this comedian took that, the phrase that we say often, um, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. It's that phrase where, you know, if, if uh, you, you get, you know, swindled, it's um, their fault. But if I let the same person swindle me again, then it's my fault. And the comedian goes on, he says, he keeps playing it out. He goes, well, fool me three times, double shame on me, because I, you know, uh, I can't believe I let you uh, get me twice. But fool me four times, shame on you now, because you took advantage of somebody who clearly has a problem that uh, he can be, you know, taken advantage of four times. But fool me five times, back shame on me, because you have to take, you know, responsibility somewhere for where you mess up. And he goes back and forth, but he's asking the same question. Where's the line? Who's at fault? Where can we draw the line? And uh, Peter thought, I actually, it's, I love Peter, because Peter, you can almost see, like, the, the wheels turn in Peter's brain. Okay, I've been with Jesus. I know he's going to say to be more generous than whoever else is generous. And so we know the generous thing is three, because it's really generous. So he more than doubles that number. Three plus three is six. Let's add one more. Seven. Seven times, Right? Jesus, is that the right number? And Jesus says, nope, 77 times. And what a lot of commentators will point out is seven is the perfect number. So 77 is like perfect times perfect. Basically, an infinite amount of time. And when you realize that, then you pull back and you say, wait a second. That means that Jesus and what he's saying is in stark contrast to the thinkers of Simon's book and really everybody else in our culture. Because our leaders, our celebrities, in our culture, we do not have the resources to forgive. Nobody forgives and asks for forgiveness. I remember seeing, um, you know, a lot of times there's uh, some of our celebrity athletes, they'll mess up, they'll do something in public, they'll, get, they'll, be, they'll break the law. And what they'll do, you, you see them behind the podium and they'll say, hey, I, I did some things, I'm not going to talk about exactly what they are, but um, I'm sorry that I've impacted people negatively. Basically saying, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way, which is not actually taking ownership. So you have that as the paradigm, which means really most people only feel like there's only three options in culture. When, it, when a wrong is done, when there's a conflict, here are the three options. Option one is pay back. Like, they hurt you, they stole from you, I'm going to steal from them. Option one is they injured you, I have to injure them. It's sort of a, a dog-eat-dog world. We, we see that. Now, option two is to kind of go cold, kind of stone, go stone cold on them. This is what actually what Simon did, kind of ghost people and uh, just uh, cut them off. In fact, what, what's interesting about our technology is we've become more advanced. We've just gotten better at giving ourselves space where we can cut people off and, and not stay in relationship. And we think, we say to ourselves, well, that's a lot better than the open hostility of option one, right? But really, deep in our hearts, we know that sometimes indifference can actually cut somebody more. That indifference actually is more hurtful. At least in option one, you, you're addressing them. Option two, you, don't, you, you treat them as if they're not real. Then there's option three where there's, this is a kind of option where there's an injury that's happened. And what you do is, is you're gracious. You know, let me show you how benevolent I am. I forgive you. But it's a punishing type of mercy where in your heart you have, uh, you're not going to let them off. In your heart, you're still going to root for their demise. Where in your heart, there's, there, you actually haven't forgiven at least what we're going to learn is the biblical definition of, of forgiveness. And I think these are the three main options that me, most people think they have. When, it, when somebody's wronged you, 
or you've wronged them, those three are the main ones that people do. And I believe that's why we are in a culture now, and it's increasing where we are dividing, we're canceling, we are becoming more tribal. We're seeing people literally move from geographical spaces to be with the ideologies of other people that are just like them. And what's happened is, is now our relationships are thinning out. And our relationships are thinning out because we don't stay in the ones long enough where we can handle the conflict. And I, this is not a full reason, but I think one of the reasons why we, all, we are feeling lonely, I think one of the reasons why there's the increase of the societal breakdown that we have is because we don't stay in relationships through conflict. We, because why? We have a tendency of not knowing how to forgive. We have a tendency to not forgive. Now, that's point one. Now, point two. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. Fine. How do we forgive? Well, look at our text. Look at verse 26. The servant, confronted with the enormity of his debt, he gets on his knees, and what does he ask for? He says, have patience with me. Which at first you think is kind of funny, right? Because he owes 10,000 talents, and one talent was a fortune. So 10,000 talents was uh, in almost an incalculable number. It was the largest number in Greek that they had, which it was almost like Jesus was trying to say, you can't imagine this debt. It's like $100 billion. And yet he's saying have patience, which is kind of funny because there's no amount of patience that would allow him the time to pay this back. And yet that's, that, the problem with that is English. The Greek word is the word macrothemia. Macro means you know, big, long. Themia means suffering. So he's saying, I want you to take a long-suffering position towards me. Because that is the essence of forgiveness, is, is being long-suffering. And there's two things, there's two actions that I see the king doing. The, the two things he does in, after verse 26 is he takes pity and he lets him go. And I want to look at these two features of forgiveness. So feature number one is he takes pity. In other words, forgiveness is granted before it's felt. How do I, where do you get that from the word pity? Well, the Greek word here is uh, an action. It's actually not a feeling. We use the word pity as, as a feeling we have, but actually, in Greek here, it's an action to have compassion. It means to identify with the person, even if you don't feel it. It means you reason with yourself to sympathize. Because I promise you, this king did not feel like uh, forgiving $100 billion. There's no way for him to have been able to do that. But to take compassion means to grant it before you feel it. I, if you're waiting around right now, waiting to forgive somebody that you know that's wronged you, until you're waiting until you feel it, you're just going to be waiting for a very long time. Instead, to grant compassion means this. It means when you feel hurt, and this is how it works in my heart at least, when you feel hurt, when the, when the, the feelings rise up and you start going, can't believe they did that. How could they? I never would have done that to them. You almost have to almost equally in part say, okay, maybe I wouldn't have done it to them like this, but I've done things. Maybe not to them, but to other people. And when you start putting yourself in the same group as them or them in the same group as yourself, it gives you the ability then to grant it before you feel it. 
That's number one. Now, step one. Step two, forgiveness also means canceling the debt. See, the two things are have pity, but then lets him go. The only way he could let him go would have meant that the king himself had to absorb the debt. And this is important. He, the king is not pretending it didn't happen. I think there's some confusion in our culture that we think forgiveness means to forget. It doesn't mean to forget. It, you know, it happened. But it means absorbing the cost to let him go. And that means if, if you really forgive, and this is what's hard for our culture, it's this. To forgive means the offense has been done to you. You're the victim, and that hurts. And then when you forgive, you take the debt on yourself, and that means there's a double hurt. Which is why I think our culture is saying, this is too much, this is too great. It doesn't seem fair. But I would argue that if you don't, the alternative is worse. That if you don't forgive, that the evil that was done to you enters into you in, a, in, a, in often a mysterious way, and as it eats you up and as it, as it moves in your life, you end up bec- turning around, maybe to the same person, but the evil is done out, out into the world even more. Um, I, this summer, I, I finished the Ted Lasso series, the third season, and I still believe the reason why this became a cultural phenomenon, the reason why Ted Lasso was a smash hit is because in every single conflict situation where most people would have paid back and ghosted or uh, been fake or not real, every single time the character, in a surprising way, and yet still a painful way, forgives or repents. And what happens is there's this beauty and this wonder and this love and this uh, renewed and almost deeper relationship that comes out of it. I think that's what's so amazing. And I think that's why it was addictive to watch because you wondered, how, is it, how are they going to handle this one? How are they going to handle that one? When Rebecca in season one asks for forgiveness and repents for sabotaging Ted and the, and the team. That's season one. Season two, you have Roy forgiving Jamie. Season three, you have Nate apologizing to Ted. And the series shows over and over not just the power of forgiveness and uh, repentance, but also there's a bigger cost if you don't. And that person is represented by Rupert, uh, Rebecca's ex-husband, who has what? Rupert has all the money in the world. He owns a soccer club, and yet because he's unable to let go, he's twisted by it, and he's cold, and he's hurtful, and there's no way to, to redeem him. We must not nurture the grievances in our heart that I know have been done to you. I don't know exactly what's been done to you, but things have been done to you. And if we nurture it, if we can't let it go, it will consume us and twist us and change us. And I, I, I think this is one of the hardest things to do because there is a double hurt. It's the hurt of the offense and there's the hurt of then not taking that offense back on the people for yourself that uh, deserve it, to harbor it. And I think that's what it means to cancel the debt, to not exact the payment nor embellish it or harbor the hurt. Now, this is where you always have to do a timeout in today's culture. People always, you know, maybe you're biting your tongue, you're saying, but what about abuse? What about, a, there's a, there's a, what about an abusive relationship, a toxic person? And this is where we have to say, yes, abuse is real and wrong. And if you are in an abusive relationship, if you're in an exploitive relationship, you need to get out. God does not want you in those relationships. It's not kind to to be in those relationships. It's not good to be in those relationships. Those are real. Hear me saying it. I also probably need to say that the church 
And people in the church have used this exact text to exploit people. Because by saying, hey, you need to forgive here, you're leaving people in these abusive relationships. And, and I think that's wrong as well. And yet, at the same time, I've seen us using this word so often that I think we, start, we need to start being careful about this word. Because I think we're throwing it around and we're saying everything is abusive now. I was told uh, months ago that to ask somebody to become a Christian, to believe in Jesus, was abusive because it meant changing their identity from whatever they were before. And now I'm starting to see people say, hey, that person was abusive to me, and now people are responding going, you're being abusive by calling me abusive. Or people are saying, hey, don't gaslight me, don't change, redefine the history. And people are saying, hey, you're gaslighting me by saying that you're gaslighting me. Which means now the, the terms are, are becoming... Um, they're not real anymore. And this is bad because there is abuse and it does a disservice to people who really have been abused. And we end up not being able to call things. What is a hard conflict in a difficult situation? We're, we're labeling with these terms that are not allowing us then to actually uh, work through the process of forgiveness. Now, some of you will say, okay, that's, not, that's fine, but what about justice? A lot of people say, hey, forgiveness ends up killing the ability to have justice. And I, this is a whole other sermon, we don't have time, but if you define biblical justice as giving people what they're due, right, you, you, you can do in the negative, they're due punishment, but you can do in the positive, people are made in the image of God, they're due self-worth and value and kindness and love. If that's true, if you don't forgive before you seek justice, if, it's, if this evil that gets inside of you as you've been hurt and you don't actually forgive first, you will never seek justice. You'll, you'll think you are, but you're actually seeking vengeance because out of the hurt and hardship and upsetness, that's what you'll seek. I think the problem here is most people misunderstand forgiveness and how it is different from uh, reconciliation and restoration. The reconciliation and restoration, yes, they demand a response from uh, both parties. Forgiveness is actually what you do in your, your own heart about the debt that was incurred for you. And if you can actually not need that payment, then you actually can seek real justice. You can seek restoration. You can seek reconciliation. That's what it takes to be able to forgive. Now, last point. If we need to forgive to stay in relationships, if we need to forgive to be able to have justice, but culturally we're not given the resources to do that, how can we be people to forgive? Go back to our text, and I find it very interesting in verse 32, where the master calls the servant wicked. If you think about it, legally speaking, he actually didn't do anything wrong, did he? Legally, he had the right to ask for that money back. So this is where sometimes you can be wrong, not legally, but you can be wrong spiritually. Because you're wicked here in this text because a heart affected by the love of the king never would have made the demand that he made. Because you only forgive to the degree that you feel forgiven. That's what this text is trying to say. That compared to the infinite amount of debt that we owe, it is literally ludicrous to not forgive the substantial but still finite debt that we owe each other. And, and that's the point. So go back to Peter. Peter's problem is not that he's asking about how much should we forgive this other person. See, he's focused on them. And seven, it actually really is very generous to seven times keep caring for somebody who keeps messing up at you. 
But the problem with Peter's question is that if he first saw how many times that the Lord has infinitely forgiven him, not just in the past, but, you know, three times he's going to deny Jesus. Only when he sees the infinite times and costs that he's been forgiven. If he really knew every time he doubted God's goodness, every time he put himself first, every time he took a good thing and, t- and made it about himself and focused on himself, what's happening in those spaces is you're, you and I are creating these little mini deaths, these little uh, mini debts with each other that are creating that, the evil spaces that the world is falling apart in. And it's happening to you, but you're doing it to others, and you don't even understand to the degree that we are. It's when he sees the infinite debt that he first caused, and yet God forgave him anyway. It would be instinctual for each one of us to offer that same forgiveness back out. One who knows how much they've been forgiven, I think never fully will keep track of how much, uh, how much we can forgive other people. I recently read a, a paper by B.B. Warfield. Um, I was doing this uh, just this past week. It's called The Emotional Life of Our Lord. And what B.B. Warfield did was he went through all the New Testament and found every single time when Jesus' emotional life was talked about. And he studied the words that were used. And what he found is the Greek word that is most used to describe Jesus is this phrase, to be moved from your depths with compassion. It's actually the very same word in verse 27 used by the king. When it says pity, which is such a, it's in our English dialect, we don't use that word a lot. But that word means to have compassion, to associate, to identify. And you should ask, well, then how does that word help me? How can you ever have compassion on those people who have done so much hurt to us? And if you've been hurt, then you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't been, just give it some time. How do we have compassion on those people? This king's mercy did not change the servant in our text, but there's a king's mercy who will. I think the reason why Jesus said, I want this word to identify me the most, it's because he's saying that the only way to fix you, for you to become a person who can forgive, is first to receive the forgiveness from Jesus the king. How's that possible? The cross was always where the perpetrators went to die because they deserved it. The perpetrators who have done terrible things to you deserve to be on the cross. But you and I, who have done wrongs as well, deserve to be on the cross, and yet Jesus replaces us with himself. Because on that cross, Jesus says, I'm going to become you, for you. On that cross, Jesus is saying that you deserve, but you don't get, I'll take. And I think this is where that last phrase that Jesus says, you want a little trivia question. What's the last phrase Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. And we think that's all, that's, oh, that's sweet and nice. But the Greek word is actually a debt payment word. He was saying, when he says I just finished, he's saying I paid in full everything that you will owe and did owe right now in time in this place. And therefore, all the wrongs that you have done and will do will be righted and be healed. And so I, I think the king in this story, when he absorbed this debt, it was at the risk of, of his kingdom because it was a kingdom-ending amount of debt, 10,000 talents. But Jesus Christ restored us and saved us and loved us and paid the debt at the cost of his life and kingdom. Do you live? 
This is the last question to you. Do you live the forgiven lives? Is this impacting the way you uh, move out into the world? Because if you can't, it probably means you don't really know to the depths that you've been forgiven. That if this doesn't spill out of you, emanate out of you, kind of ooze out of you naturally, then it's possible that you don't really get what we mean or understand or experience the forgiveness that's been offered to you. And I think there is crazy power here because guess what? That means there is no earthly offense that has ever been done to you or will be done to you that can't be covered by the grace that's been given to us. And I'm, by the way, this is, this is hard because I'm using words. We're talking intellectually. But there is great power here, not just intellectually. It means tonight, you don't have to lie awake in your bed tonight saying, why is my life not going the way it's supposed to be going? You don't have to lay awake or obsess and wonder. And I've done a lot of obsessing and wondering, why am I not getting what I'm owed? Why am I not getting what I'm due? And I bet you everybody in this room can, can give me lists about exactly what you deserve, and I bet you we would agree with them. And yet, if this is true, this frees us from the tyranny of that thought. See, everybody says, I want freedom, I want freedom. Well, guess what? You're still bound unless you feel forgiven, because then when you feel forgiven, then you can forgive, and when you can forgive, then you can actually be free from the destruction that's been done to you, and you can be free to move out and serve and love and care for other people. So you can say this, my reputation was ruined by blank, but my reputation is not my life. This thing was taken from me, X, Y, Z, but that thing is not my life, he's my life. And you can say I've lost friends and money and job opportunities and things that I deserve because I decided or I did or somebody did to me, and it doesn't take away who you are. Because why? If Jesus is at the center of your life, everything else can be taken away from you, but that can't. He won't be taken away from you. If you and again, put it in reverse. If you're falling apart today, if you're, if you're finding yourself that you're an individual who has a hard time to let people off, if you feel uh, caustic, if, you, if you're not having this overflow out, it's possible that something else is at the center of your heart. And whatever that, that thing is, A, it can be taken from you, so you can actually it can get worse than this. And B, it can't give you what you need. Make him the center of your life. If you do, if you take your story, the story of slights and hurts, and again, I, wanna be, I feel like I'm going too fast, but your hurts are real. The slights of your life are real. But if you take that and put it into the greater narrative and story of what Jesus has done and is what he's doing, then I think we could be a restorative presence in this world. What's so crazy about this world, this world does not do this to each other. But if we did, we could actually be the restorative presence that this place needs. Where people are fracturing and falling apart, we stay in it. We become the glue, the, the, the salt and light that can be in this space. Corey Ten Boom when, was also in a concentration camp. Almost an identical uh, storyline. Her sister was with her, and her sister died in the concentration camp. And what's amazing is after the war, she's actually ironically preaching in Germany on forgiveness. And a man walks up to her after the service, and it turns out it was actually this SS agent that had a huge hand in her, her sister's death. And the man comes up and asks for forgiveness and extends a hand of fellowship 
like this, and these are her words. She says this, as I stood there, I whose sin had every day been forgiven could not forgive. I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling, and so woodenly she extends her hand. Mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder. It raced down my arm and sprang into our joint hands. And then the healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried. With all my heart, for a long moment, we grasped each other's hand, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Because even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, notice, she's like, those are still there. I saw the sin of them. And Jesus Christ had died for this man and died for her. Was I really going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. Corey Tamboom could only do that because she felt forgiven first. That's what I mean, that you can cover it all. And before we move out of here, ask yourself this. Will you let the forgiveness offered and given and paid for already affect you now? Will you let it be? Will you let it move in you? If I can give you one quick application before I end, I'll say this. If this community is to be the community we want it to be, if you stay in here long enough, you're going to hurt each other. And if you haven't yet, just give it some time. You will. And when that happens, just don't leave. Gently, kindly go to that person. Either they need to hear it because they were wrong, or sometimes you've misunderstood or you were in the wrong, and you're never going to get corrected if, unless you go. And if you do, there is something powerful and wonderful and real that could be offered to us. Give second chances, and surprisingly, I think the world will see it, experience it, and know it, and it'll change us and change the world. That is what we have here. That's what is offered, and that's the church I would like us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this hard and necessary message. I, I, even as we sit here, if we're saying to ourselves, I, you know, there's some people I wish were hearing this. They need to hear this. I pray we repent of even that because we're not letting ourselves even hear it. Let ourselves experience the wonders of the grace that has been offered to us. If we've heard this before, let it move us anew. If we've never heard this before, let it challenge us and say, oh, maybe that's why. I haven't been able to let go. Maybe that's why. Father, this stuff is not natural. Natural, it's to clam up and to pull out, and we're seeing it happen in all these spaces, and yet we have a powerful witness that could be before us where we're people who are quick to repent and quick to forgive, quick to let go and quick to speak up. Father, I pray that we will do this so that we can be this restorative presence in our church, but also in our city. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.